let's get the show started. Our very first talent talk with Chris Dyer. Welcome, Chris. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining me. My name is Chris Dyer, and I'll be your host for the next hour. As this is our inaugural show, let me explain to you a little about what the show is about. The Talent Talk radio show features a wide range of guests who care about talent. On this show, we will talk about talent in two ways. First, as it relates to success and uncovering the secrets of really talented people. And second, we'll also talk about talent in relation to human resources and how HR leaders find the best candidates today. Hopefully you see how that works. The word talent has a couple different meanings in the business world, and this show will explore those two areas. My guests include CEOs, entrepreneurs, and HR executives from all types of industries. When I'm out at networking events and industry conferences, I have the privilege of meeting inspiring leaders all the time. I created this forum to allow you to listen in on our dialogue and learn some practical advice that will hopefully impact your own career in a positive way. Before I get to my guests today, Kim Shepard and Jerry Rosen, a quick thank you to our sponsor of the show. The Talent Talk Radio Show is brought to you by People G2, a company that I founded in 2001. People G2 is dedicated to helping clients with their people-related decisions by giving them access to the best human capital due diligence and background checks on prospective candidates, business partners, tenants, and more. People G2 was recently named one of the best places to work by the Orange County Business Journal, and we're really proud of that. To learn more about People G2, please visit us online at www.peopleg2.com. You can also follow People G2 on Facebook, and of course our Twitter handle is at People G2. With that said, let's get today's show started. Again, my guests today are Kim Shepard and Jerry Rosen. I will be talking to Jerry in the second half of the show. Well, let's go ahead and get started with Kim. Kim, welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris. How are you? I'm great. Glad to have you. Thank you. So tell us about yourself and your company, Decision Toolbox. Sure. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on your inaugural show. This is cool. Um, I'm CEO of a company called Decision Toolbox. We're just celebrating our 20th year, wow. and we do high-volume, low-fee-based um, recruitment across uh, industry geography lines um, intentionally because we're specialists in nothing but the process of recruitment. And some of our local clients include um, Clean Energy, uh, uh, Cybron Dental, a bunch of them here locally. Right. Well, in, in what I already knew about your company, I kind of had figured out that Decision Toolbox seems to really help companies in these large stages of growth. Right, right. So do you feel that companies have a certain position in their organization that is really vital in that kind of transition? Well, probably biz dev. Right. <laughs> it's the scariest position to fill. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know in our own organization, we're a recruitment firm. When it came time to put in place a VP of biz dev, I mean, I was just a nervous wreck. It was it, because you can't afford to make an error there. Right. Well, so what's so important about that person? Because they drive the growth. I mean, right. they're bringing everything in the front door, and then your team's uh, productivity and performance is keeping the clients in place. So biz dev is so critical. And I, and I find with transitioning companies that are on a growth spurt, um, I mean, every position, of course, is critical. But uh, biz dev, is, as I'm sure you know, is, yeah. is very important. Good. So what about your experiences before Decision Toolbox? How did they influence the type of leader you are today? 
<laughs> well, some people say you can't hold a job. I can't hold a career. Um, I was a, a TV reporter and then uh, entertainment director for Club Med and then became a recruiter and then became a CEO. I'm not quite sure how that happened. And as far as leadership goes, I I think it's just it's a matter of looking at common sense. And um, if people really are your most important assets, which I really believe, then you look at what the people want and what they need and make sure you put it in place for them. Mm-hmm. Well, it was just announced that you were the recipient of the Remarkable Women Innovator Award by the National Association of Women Business Owners. I thought I was up for that award, but apparently <laughs> I didn't meet all our qualifications. So now that we know you're remarkable, let's maybe go dive in a little deeper into leadership. Um, have you changed as a leader as your company grew? I'm always changing as a leader. Um, it's not a stagnant position, and I think that one thing that people don't really realize is that leadership isn't just something you wake up and I think I'm going to go be a leader today. Right. It, it's a job, and it requires work, and it requires concentration and focus and growth. And if my role is to be the leader of the company or leader of anyone I, around me, not just of a company, you know, parents are leaders in their own way. Uh, it is a job, and it's something to be taken really seriously, and you're always morphing and growing. And so at every stage of, of um, our company's growth, I find myself always trying to push myself and identifying new ways to lead. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we're 100% virtual company. So leadership is very different in our organization because you want to be very present so that everybody don't feel, they don't feel like they're on an island. And um, so that really means instilling new forms of communication and ways to um, demonstrate what you're wrapping around the, the organization. So I have this theory that, you know, great CEOs or entrepreneurs that actually succeed have to be a completely different person in the beginning of the company's, you know, growth and development and, and totally different in the middle. Right. And then they kind of have to graduate to this completely different person, maybe towards the end of the end might be, a, you know, they go public, they might sell their company or what have you. But they're really different people and that the ones that stay the same don't end up taking their companies where they want them to go. Right. So... In in those different phases for you, um, was there any part of the change that was really hard for you to do where you felt like was you really had to t- take a step back to kind of retrain yourself and become a different person to really be that success? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have to remember that, um, and to your point of, of always growing, um, remember that your team is growing too. So if you stay stagnant, your team's going to pass you, and they're going to be leading the leader. Um, so... For me, it's always it's it's kind of odd, Chris, because I'm always cognizant of the fact that I want to make sure that my team uh, doesn't feel like they're on an island and that they are in 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 partnership with other people in the organization. But as the leader of the organization, you're really the one that is the island because um, I have no rearview mirror. Um, everything that I do goes back to the team and then I'm off to the next thing. So anything that's sitting on my desk, if I have little stickies on my desk, no one knows what what's on the desk but me because they haven't either new clients haven't been brought in yet or um, leadership uh, exercises haven't been uh, rolled out yet. So as the leader, you kind of are a bit isolated. So as a CEO, who or what was the greatest, had the greatest impact on your leadership development and maybe why? You know, not to sound cheesy, but my mom. Mm-hmm. Um, 
my mom's an incredible woman, and she raised four kids by herself and had a coffee shop. And her leadership style at that coffee shop always stuck with me. I was slinging hash there when I was 13 years old. Her Christmas parties, her retention, her recruitment, her retention of the people. I mean, we had a, the same dishwasher for a dozen years. Who, who can say that? And um, so that really taught me at an early age that, you know, now in being in a large organization, um, you tend not to look back to the simple examples you have that can stick with you. I mean, to compare... Um, decision toolbox with the fact that my mom owned a coffee shop, but everything that I try to be as a leader, I learned when I was 13 from my mom. What were some of those attributes that, that she showed as a leader? Yeah. Um, great customer service. I mean, she knew everybody's name and everything about them. Tenacity. Uh, running a restaurant is not easy business. Always showing up. Work ethic really caring for her employees and showing and making sure that she was the she had the best environment that anyone could work at that's what i try to do with decision toolbox and my leadership team is um ask in fact we had a call earlier today before i came to the studio and we were talking about uh querying our team on you know we know that we do a very good job how do we do a better job we call it staying in the negative and you get a 100 percent customer satisfaction survey reach out to them and say thank you for the 100 percent but Surely there's something that I could have done that would have been better. And, um, and again, I learned that from my mom, and, and it, it bodes really well in, in our organization today. I think that's a great answer, and it's not cheesy at all to, to say your <laughs> mom, I think. I know. Mom's listening right, right. now. <laughs> Good. <laughs> so, so you get brownie points, too. I, exactly. We're having dinner tonight, so good. she'll pick up the tab. <laughs> So what advice do you have for our listeners looking to develop the talent they do have? You know, how do they get the best out of each person? Mm-hmm. Do you have any strategies for that? I do. Start with yourself. Now, that is a little cheesy, but um, start with yourself and be the best you can be. People follow other leaders, and, and you know, the term leader is, is so often slung around, and what does it really mean? But everybody is a leader in some way. And um, so I think as far as... as um, getting talent like-minded people stick together so you hear often about a players a players will only play with other a players so if you're a b leader you're not going to get a players they're going to see right through you right and i know you have some really unique strategies that you use in your company to help motivate (laughs) uh we use them in our company as well uh, most of them i think I think there's even a new one you've added. I don't think we've added yet the, the Boo Boo Award. The Boo Boo Award, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, we may have to add that one. So maybe you could walk, let's walk us through those some of those if, sure. you, if you feel comfortable doing that. So the Boo Boo Award is, um, I was being interviewed by Forbes magazine about um, political correctness. And I thought, well, that's silly. You know, people that, that want to be politically correct or organizations that have that structure. So I wanted to bust that myth, so we came up with a Boo Boo of the Month Award, so if anybody screws up during the week or during the month, they report it, and then we pick the biggest screw-up, and we reward them with a, a Starbucks gift card. And so that busts political correctness right away because you're volunteering your mistakes. And the reason is is because you can tell someone anything, and the odds of them retaining it is probably not very good. But when you hear of someone else's mistake, you want to make sure that you never make that boo-boo. And so you, you have a tendency to have a higher percentage of retention. And that adds a great sense of transparency in your company. If it, mm-hmm. you're getting people to admit what they did wrong, you're probably finding out about a lot more of the problems and holes that you wouldn't have found out right. about. 
And I was a recipient once oh, right. <laughs> of the Puma well, Award. CEOs we always are, right? <laughs> yeah, but we're not supposed to bust ourselves in front of everybody. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, And then other things that we do, we have um, cockroach committees. So those are um, people clump up in, in groups of three or four, and they, they get together virtually on the phone um, one day a week for an hour, and they help kill each other's cockroaches. We have tribal speak. So you might see an email that says... Um, uh, send out the green flag. We just landed a chunky monkey, but watch the warn the cockroach committee because the dog has fleas. Like what? Right. It, it, and what it does is it really adds glue to your corporate culture. Well, that's great. And I know you have a few other. Uh, maybe you could explain what a green flag is. Yeah, well, that's well, a great thing we use in our organization. Maybe you can check. You that. use the green flag. Yeah, we do. I was in San Diego, and um, I was at the monkey cage, and there was this little monkey that came running out of the the wall, waving this piece of green fabric, and I (laughs) blurted out, I've got the green thing, I've got the green thing. And ever since, um, anything good that happens in the organization is called a green flag, a green thing, and then that translated into green flag. (laughs) Uh, That one's great. I know people in my organization love that. We send out a green flag, and they get all that great praise and feedback. Uh, They really enjoy it. Well, you know, most companies met their biggest challenge recently during our our big recession. How did your company meet that challenge? Yeah. We hunkered down, and um, when when there's adverse times, you either, uh, it's fight or flight. You either get in the fetal position or you you fight, and we're really good fighters. So um, the organization all pulled together, and... um, we just it, it, we didn't have to thankfully we didn't have to do a downsizing in in a down economy with our organization the first thing that goes in other companies is the recruiting department so um it can be a boon for us um we've grown we've doubled in the past 3 years the down economy probably stunted us from doubling again but it kept us uh, kept us afloat we had uh, the clients kind of want to pay by the drink instead of by the bottle. Right. Did you find yourself doing anything that was kind of going upstream? I know we felt like uh, my organization thought I was crazy. You know, we got <laughs> everyone together and we said, I think we need to spend more money. Yeah. And I said, well, what do you mean? You know, no, one's, no one's buying. I said, well, no one else is advertising. No one else is doing these things. Let's be the one that's out there doing it. So did you feel like you had to do that a little bit? We did. In fact, during the, the down economy, we put in an entire layer of six directors um, and uh, created more of a, a tiered effect. Uh, but, you know, to your point, on the, the last time back in the um, early 2000s when there was a really down time, that's when we went virtual. And it was really to save money, cut costs, and, um, and it was the greatest thing we ever did. Now we're 100% virtual, no sticks or bricks. Um, and uh, just really allows you to it allows you to ramp up when when you're in boom times and and allows you to kind of thin out when when necessary. Now, one thing I uh, a little tool that you have I think is really unique that I forgot to to have you talk about a minute ago was the egg timer. Yeah, yeah. How, how do you guys use the egg timer? How does that work in your company? Yeah. Well, the my theory on that is that anybody can run for forty five minutes at any task, and sometimes, you know, we all have to wear hats that are not the most comfortable hats to wear. And um, so what we do is everyone in the organization has an egg timer. We set it for 45 minutes. We run at whatever task is at hand. And then for 15 minutes, you, you know, walk your dog, return a call, get a bite to eat, pour a cup of coffee or whatever. Think of what you're going to do for the next 45 minutes. At the end of the 15 minutes, set your timer again and run. And my theory there is that at the end of the day, you can get twice as much done 
by running in 45-minute spurts. And that all comes from my crazy book, The Bite Me School of Management. Yeah, which is a great book if anyone has <laughs> out there hasn't read it. So do you, you, you mentioned uh, about that productivity level. So do you feel like you get more out of your staff and more productivity now that you're in this different environment of being virtual? Yeah, you know, the, a lot of CEOs that, that I talk to have a fear of going virtual because they think that if they can't see it, it's not getting done. But in reality, if you're a virtual company, all that matters are the three Ps, performance, productivity, and profit. And that's all you really see. And so if you have key performance indicators set up on each department and and set of tasks, then you have something to measure against. And you actually get more performance, or at least in our organization, we get a better snapshot of what's going on because we don't see the woman at the water cooler with the snappy new haircut or the fancy dress or, you know, and, and you're not fooled by personality types. It's, it's all the three Ps. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, that, that personality type is a big one because uh-huh. someone can talk the talk and they can make everyone feel like they're doing a lot. But for us, when we went virtual, it was immediately transparent who was doing great work and who was not doing any work. Right. And those people went and new people came in. And, you know, recently when we were kind of letting you know, social media know about our award with the Orange County Business Journal. We had some funny comments from people. Oh, you're virtual. That means 100% of your people don't work. Right. You know, these are sort of funny comments. And I, it had been a few years since I even thought about it. You know, we don't, it's complete opposite. I right. think people were, were doing less work when they were sitting at a desk and, and, and hanging out by the water cooler. Well, if you remember, you and I over lunch talked about this. Right. Before you went virtual. Yeah, it was a concern. Yeah. yeah. What do we do? How do we look at them? But, and with the right tools and the right ideas, uh, you know, my staff was terrified right. to go virtual. Terrified. How did you feel as a leader? I felt like it was a good change. We needed to do it. We needed, you know, I felt excited about it. You know, you never know what's going to happen. But I was starting to get a little worried because my staff was so terrified. Right. And two weeks after, and by that two-week period, every single one of them had called me and said, this is the best thing we've ever done. This is great. <laughs> I love it. And it's been you know, can just roses ever since. I think it's just the launching that's the spooky part. Because once you do right. it, you're you're in it, and then you start seeing. You know, to your question earlier about um, the leaders and the, and the different um, the maturation of of leadership. When you're virtual, it takes on a whole life of its own. Right. Because you have to. You want to be seen. You want as a leader. You want them to know that there's a mothership. You know, at, that that's got the vision and and um, moving the company. But in virtual, you have to. How do you present that? So it's uh, right. It's great. It's amazing. The new challenges, you know, some challenges just went away. The other challenges are just keeping our, you know, uh, the pulse, making everyone still feel connected to the company. That's the number one thing we deal with. Yeah. We're always making, trying to make sure everyone feels connected. They know what's happening uh, because they are in their, at their own space. They are in their, their office in the back of their house somewhere, and they can start to feel a little bit closed in right. and a little bit disconnected. But we do everything we can to to keep them you know, connected. Well, in a lot of companies, the culture is a byproduct of the company. It, 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 it creates itself. Mm-hmm. In a virtual company, you have to have someone that's feeding and watering you know, right. the culture on a regular basis. Otherwise, um, you won't have any. Yeah, you almost need a head of culture. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I think as a CEO, that's my job. Right. Right. Yeah, it's, defi- it's definitely... Uh, percolates th- through you and your organization. It's always something that I'm trying to do. Uh, so I have another question for you. This one might be a little bit tougher. Uh, can you maybe talk about a painful lesson that you learned in your career 
maybe you know relate some of those experiences back to to that and how that really impacted your leadership style and and how you really uh, move forward with your company. Yeah, there was a time um, right about the time we went virtual where we were very close to the the ship was close to sinking, and uh, at the time I believe that as many as sixty percent of the um, recruitment companies across the country, the smaller ones, had had uh, gone bankrupt. So my partner and I, uh, Jay Barnett, the founder of the company, got together and we're like, okay, we need to we need to cut and and we but we didn't know what we wanted to cut and we we wanted to cut anything before we cut people because that's always the hardest thing to do it hurts your heart and we came up with 27 things that we could do without cutting people to 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 save money to try to get us through to the other side and every single on that everything on that list looked like this is not doable and we pulled them all off our um cfo coo um uh, did an amazing job. We all got gray hair as a result of it, <laughs> but we pulled it off. And it, but it hurt. Yeah, yeah. And so, from those experiences, do you think that still drives some of your decisions today? Having to go through that process. Well, the fact that my partner and I went a year without a salary, um, eating is a is a good motivator. <laughs> uh, tuna and top ramen. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Lived on that top ramen. So, uh, when's the next book going to come out? Um, you know, I'm actually working on it right now. Yeah. Um, the working title is uh, "Get Naked." The Love myth, it. the myths of stripping the uh, stripping out the myths of building a virtual company. Wow, that's great. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> I don't know that that title will actually carry all the way through. Well, I, I'm, I'll vote for it right now. That, that sounds great to me. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. After after the bite me, then getting naked. Yeah, I guess that'll work. Very heady books. Right. I call them my toilet books. You can read them in the bathroom in an hour. <laughs> well, great. I really appreciate you being here on the show with us. Uh, final question is, uh, how can people reach you if they're interested in to- Decision Toolbox and your great recruiting company? Well, thank you very much. Um, you can go to the website, which is dtoolbox.com, and there's a link there if anyone wants to email me. Um, there's a direct link. Great. I know you have a great blog, and you have a great website, so hopefully people will take a look. Really appreciate you being on the show with us. And up next, Jerry Rosen will be on the show after we have this uh, quick commercial break. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. 
a cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge, with the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days, all with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. And now back to Talent Talk with Chris Dyer and his next guest. Welcome back. My next guest is Jerry Rosen of Working Wardrobes. Jerry, welcome to the show. Chris, thanks so much for having me on. My pleasure. So tell us about yourself and your organization, Working Wardrobes. Well, I'll start with Working Wardrobes. It is an organization that I founded 23 years ago with a mission to bring the dignity of work to thousands of people. Um, although we didn't exactly start out that way. We did a one-time event to serve 67 women who were from domestic violence shelters to give them kind of a leg up on their search for the jobs and the confidence that they needed to make that happen successfully. And it was so great as an experience for the volunteers that everybody wanted to do it again and again and again. And so for 12 years, I ran the organization as a volunteer we served many more people every year, started serving men 17 years ago, and today we're serving over 5,000 men, women, veterans, and young adults. And the services include all career development, getting them ready for the workforce with assessments, with job skills training, and actually placing our clients in jobs now. And they're wearing great-looking suits as well. And how about yourself? Can you tell us a little more about yourself? Yes. Uh, my background is, is in marketing and advertising, and I've loved that field. And I work for a number of fast food restaurant chains in my uh, experience, Wendy's International, Del Taco, and Carl's Jr. And so I thought I'd go legitimate into the nonprofit world. But bringing the discipline of the business world and certainly marketing and advertising has been a great benefit for us in at Working Wardrobes. Well, Working Wardrobe seems to help a lot of people in Orange County at a time maybe when they need it most. To do that, you need talented people. What are the attributes that every staff member in your organization must have? Well, we're a mighty team. We're actually a mighty small team, but everyone on staff is absolutely devoted to our clients' success. They're very passionate about our mission. They're certainly dedicated to being a very well-oiled machine. And they have absolutely a commitment to finding the right fit for our clients. And I'm not just talking about clothing. I'm talking about the right training and the right job opportunity. So this is a team of people that are really heroes, unsung heroes. So maybe you could give us a little bit more detail on some of the real in-depth services. You know, Maybe we could talk about a particular person who might come in on a program. What are the types of things that they might really... Uh, experience from start to finish uh, when, when they when you actually touch them at that moment? Right. Well, certainly with our veterans, Chris, we're doing a lot of in-depth assessments. So we'll do Myers-Briggs, we'll do a TAVE assessment, we'll do Strength Finders. We're looking to see where that veteran is in his or her needs assessment. We also want to do sort of a psychological assessment and also an assessment of what else they may need in the way of resources. Is there a need for housing? Is there a need for child care? Is there a desire to go on for higher education? Or is this person someone who really wants to go back into the workforce? 
what we found with a lot of our veteran clients is that need to make a very smooth transition. And so we're spending a lot of time on doing transitional workshops for our veteran clients to really take change the mindset of being in the military into moving into the civilian world. And that shift in mindset is hugely important to making a successful transition into the workforce. So once all that is done, and we actually do have a client who's ready to get into the workforce, we're going to do all the preparation work in put, building a really solid resume. We're going to find the job skills training that he or she wants to participate in. We're going to do a, a lot of different types of workshops so that they become really fluid when they're going in for the interview. We're going to practice interviewing skills with our video cameras. We're certainly going to outfit them in a great-looking suit, but we're going to do those mock interviews so that they're very comfortable in front of somebody who wants to recruit them. That's great. And certainly veterans are one component of what Working Wardrobes does. We also have other people that come to your organization for other reasons. Can you maybe talk about that a little bit? Well, certainly. We did start 23 years ago serving survivors of domestic violence, and that is an issue that is underneath a lot of the, the problems that our women face. But we've expanded beyond just the safe shelters. We're working with women and now men who may have been uh, incarcerated and they're coming back into our society. There may be people who have gone through substance abuse and they're going through a recovery program and they need to get back on their feet. So the common denominator for all of our clients is that they have gone through some kind of significant life challenge and they are ready to make a commitment back into the workforce. And we want to make them, make sure that that happens for them. One of the, the great events that I attended was the men's event, the uh, graduation event. And maybe it, some people might, might find it interesting to talk about what did some of the men have to go through to, you know, leading up to that event? What are the things that, that working wardrobes kind of put them through? And then maybe what was their reward? Well, we have a very uh, substantial Career Success Institute, and under that banner of the Institute, we offer an in-depth series of six career success workshops. And the clients who are going to be candidates to come to our big makeover day must complete all the work in those six weeks. So completion is an issue that is very, very important to our clients and not necessarily something that they're familiar with. And so this is really breaking into that cycle that they've been involved in for so long. So we have trained success coaches who go on site to the agencies that are working with where our clients are residents, and we take them through an entire series of career preparation exercises. There's homework every, every night, and they have to complete that homework. And once they complete that homework, they've actually earned their way to come to this event. And that's so important, Chris. This is not about a handout. Right. They need to earn it. They need to feel that they're going to take that next step, and they have done the hard work. So they've got a resume that's together. They understand how to deliver a powerful elevator message. They can say in 20 to 30 seconds who they are, what talent they can bring to a company. They can look a recruiter dead in the eye and say, this is what I want to do in your company. And it does powerfully impact their self-esteem. They're new people by the time they finish those workshops. And then they've got a chance to come to the event with the full-on extreme makeover, motivational seminar, 
hairstyling. For the men, we do grooming, including a manicure and a back and neck massage. And our men love the manicures. I know that many of your listeners would question that. But when they find out how important that is when you're in an interview and you shake somebody's hand and they are the nails are well manicured, and how much women like that, by the way, they're very motivated to get a manicure. And then we do uh, the, the, the wardrobing and the selection. And they have personal shoppers who are helping them select their wardrobe. So by the time they've finished with this entire day, they are standing tall. They have great eye contact. They'll shake anybody's hand and talk to them about what it is that's going on in their life and what they want to do with their lives for their next step. I think it's a really wonderful and unique uh, scenario that Working Wardrobes has for people. There are a lot of great organizations that do a lot of great things for people. But as you mentioned, in many ways, it's a handout. It's a it's a helping them now. And I think Working Wardrobes is doing a great job by helping people help themselves on a more long-term basis. It's kind of a, a gift that keeps giving. Well, the full name of the organization is Working Wardrobes for a New Start. And so that's what we can promise. It's just a start. But the heavy lifting, the continual work has to be done by the client. And, and that is different. We, we don't necessarily work with people for five or ten years. We're going to give them the tools to be successful and support them in rebuilding their confidence and their self-esteem. And often with that, people can be successful. When someone can say to them, I believe in you, I believe in your success, and I know you can make it. Well, your work and your experiences with working wardrobes are, are really quite unique. How has that work influenced the type of leader you are today? Well, I do think women make particularly good leaders in companies. And frankly, I wish there were more women leaders in, in politics as well. I think what we bring to the table is a, is a sense of compassion and understanding that underneath whatever the exterior is, there's somebody who really simply wants to do good. As a leader, I have found myself over the years changing my own my own tone i think it's so important to motivate people and we're surrounded daily and and every week every month with unbelievable volunteers but volunteers also need to be led and i think what moves our volunteers is they can see hands-on the impact that they're having on people's lives they also know that the staff and including me, we will do whatever it takes to make their experience a powerful experience. We've also done every single job that we're asking a volunteer to do. And so it's not like we're sitting back and just waiting for our volunteers to make things happen. We are in the soup with them, and we're very much supporting them in every way, shape, or form. Uh, I, I think in some respects, it's easier to work with volunteers than, than large staffs because they choose very significantly to participate with us. And they're saying to us, and the, the feedback that we get is, I've never had an experience like this in my life. And tearfully, very often, Chris, people will say, I can't believe what I just did in six hours. And there's something almost seductive about that opportunity to help somebody change his or her life that quickly. So. We, we think we've got the formula down to really work with volunteers. We recruit well, we train well, we feed them well, 
and then we acknowledge them very, very sincerely and immediately. Well, and, and so do the people that you're helping, because I know they're so thankful, and you can see it. You, you see how they're dressed. You see the smile on their face. You see the that spark kind of come back into them that maybe they had lost before for whatever reason. And I think I think the volunteers and your staff probably really can are fortunate to see that every time that they're able to, to help someone. I think, uh, quite honestly, Chris, that the staff are, are hungry for these events because it really fills our hearts and our souls. They work extremely hard to get the foundation and all the activities ready for these big events, and, and they do that every day as well for our clients. But to see the impact of 130 people in one day going through the best that we can put together is very, very exciting for them. And we spend hours after every event thinking about how can we improve, what can we do differently, and what can we do that would be better as an experience for the client as well as for the volunteer. So even for me after 23 years, I get such a sense of of satisfaction and pride in seeing my team and the volunteers treat these clients with such dignity. It's it's sensational work. So we've talked about veterans and we've talked about people coming from uh, victims of domestic abuse and possibly drug abuse or other programs. One of the other things that you do is also helping teens who maybe don't have the opportunity or the privilege to go to prom. Uh, maybe you can talk a little bit about that program. Well, you know, so much of our work, Chris, is based on helping people regain their self-esteem and their dignity and confidence. And while going to the prom doesn't have quite the impact that somebody might have if they've lost a job, if you're 15 or 16 and you can't go to the prom and you just you feel completely left out, it, it really is about helping people who are somehow disenfranchised feel better about who they are. And we've been doing this event for young teens from low-income families now for, I think, 13 or 14 years. And hundreds and hundreds of young teens are infinitely smarter and, and more confident as a result. And quite honestly, many of them have come back as volunteers to support other teens. And we love to see that happen. These days, we're serving both young teen girls and young teen boys, and the event is called Dream Girls and Distinguished Gentlemen. And I have to say that seeing our young boys in tuxedos is <laughs> its just great. They look fantastic, and as do the girls in their gowns. But like our other programs, Chris, this is not just about the clothing. This is about what we're doing to help them rethink their future. So we do a very powerful workshop on etiquette, and preparation for the prom, and they have an opportunity to create a vision board so they can look at pictures and words of what they would like to have for their future. For many of them, to sit with magazines and to have the time to think about what they want for their future is actually more impactful than getting that great-looking tuxedo or ball gown. Right. Well, you started to mention that you have changed as a leader. You know, Can you maybe talk about some of those changes and, and why that was important? I think it's so important that any leader, whether you're in a non-for-profit or a for-profit organization, bring creativity to the staff. And we have so often done as much as we can in the way of personal development for our staff. We've just, as a matter of fact, signed on to do a year-round team-building program for our staff. We just had a a two-day retreat last week 
and I am committed to giving our staff the most that they can get in the way of personal development. You know, they're never going to be millionaires working for a nonprofit organization, but if they can be better human beings, I am all about that. Uh, So we do a lot of, of workshops. We do a lot of celebrating. We think it's very important for the team to really come together in whatever way we can, whether it's a potluck, whether it's celebrating somebody's birthday. And I, there is always this sense of the culture and what it is that we have at Working Wardrobes. And there's something that people can feel when they walk in the door. It feels comfortable. It feels like you want to engage in this work. And the staff is really there to welcome and invite everyone into what they consider to be a second family. So, you know, early on you were one type of leader, and maybe now you're obviously a different type of leader. Can you think of one or two attributes, two you know, words that might describe the, a different part of you now? I mean, are you more compassionate? Are you more lenient? Are you more inspirational? I mean, how would you categorize yourself? Well, I think any leader would love to think that he or she is, a, is an inspiration, and while I've heard that from my staff, and I, I, I love that, I also think that staff looks to me to really set the, the tone and to set the, the vision for the organization and to set the, the, the spirit of, of creativity as well as fun. So I, I think what's so important is that as a leader, I'm also looking for the talent in every person who's on my staff. For us, because we're small, we've got to make sure that every seat on the bus has the right tushy in that seat. It's really important to us. So as a CEO, who or what has had the greatest impact on your leadership development and why? Well, I've been very much inspired by a number of our board members. I think early in my career when I was working in food service, I had the great opportunity to work with some visionary leaders. Uh, when I was at Del Taco, I worked with Bill Baker and Kendall Simpson, and I learned so much from these men of really how to think strategically and not tactically. And that's really informed a lot of what I do in my life and what a, a lot of what I brought to Working Wardrobes. I'm also very fortunate to be a member of a Vistage group, and I have a great coach. And there is so much that we have a chance to think about when we take a day off a month and just come together as as colleagues and then of course the one-on-one coaching uh, is is just ideal it's a time to really talk about issues that are specifically important to me and just a a little word here and there or a book that my coach might recommend has been extremely helpful and i take each one of those meetings very seriously and share with my team as much as i can and what we've learned in vistage so what advice might you give our listeners you know, looking to develop the talent that they currently have? You know, how, do, how do you get the most out of each person? Well, I, I think it's really an opportunity to, to offer people uh, ways that they can be challenged. You know, we don't have any siloed staff at Working Wardrobes. We don't have any siloed departments. We really uh, strive to see how people can emerge as quiet leaders, and as and leaders can come from any level in our in our company, which we'd love to see happen. I think when when people are treated with dignity, when they think that people offer them the possibilities that they would love to see, they're going to rise to the occasion. It doesn't happen 100% of the time. Sure. But when people really see that uh, they have a, a chance to do more, 
and be recognized for that. You know, when we meet once a week with our, our staff from 12 to 1 in a meeting called Lunch and Learn, and it's a meeting that nobody wants to miss because all, all of us gather and talk about the things that have been really critically important in the, in the prior week and the goals that we have for the, for the coming week. But we do this little process called giving each other snaps. And while that doesn't sound like it would be life-changing, when you are recognized for going above and beyond the work that you do by your colleagues, they love it. And the smiles and the accolades. And there are times when an individual staff member may be getting snaps from three or four people. This is not about doing his or her job. This is about going above and beyond. And that has really inspired the staff to go further with what, with who they are. And this is snapping similar to clapping, right? We're actually snapping, snapping your fingers? but we have a variety of snaps. Oh, we've okay. got the angel snaps and we've got the thunder snaps. So we're very creative. We've even come up with our own working wardrobe snaps. So what I think is so fun about that is that it doesn't cost any money. And what and it's not about the money. It's about recognition mm-hmm. and seeing the best in another human being. Can you talk a little bit about uh, maybe a painful lesson you've had in your career and relate that back to how that's impacted you as a leader? As our maybe final question here today. Well, absolutely. Uh, at Working Wardrobes, we have two resale stores and two thrift stores. And at one point, we we had three resale stores. And certainly site selection is critically important, and what is happening in the economy is critically important. So I had opened up a third resale store um, in 2008. It was uh, in a center at the time that was bustling and busy, and within eight months, six tenants had left that center, and our business pretty much tanked. We didn't have the right manager, and... I had to make a decision at some point to close that store. Painful, painful. It's like losing a child because the stores are very important revenue generators. But the lesson was to make a decision earlier. And uh, and we did close it. This, the center wound up being sold, so we didn't incur any financial uh, loss. But I did learn to make a decision much more quickly when it comes to the revenue of the organization. The term is failing fast. If you're going to yeah. fail, do it quickly. Exactly. Well, how can people uh, reach you if they're interested in learning more about Working Wardrobes? Lots and lots of ways. They can visit our website, www.workingwardrobes.org. We're all over the social media. They can call us at 714-210-2460. And we'd love to have them come in for a tour, Chris. We're in Costa Mesa at 3030 Pullman near the corner of Baker. And they can certainly come in and donate clothes while they're about doing that. We would love to have them ha- make that happen as well. Great clothes, accessories, suits, everything prom dresses, clean, tuxedos. Clean on, and on hangers. We'd love to have that happen. And while they're there, we'd be happy to give them a tour so they can see firsthand what is going to happen with their clothes, and they can see the work that we're doing. And they might find a way they would like to volunteer as well. That tour is great. The facility is great. It's a huge place. You guys do a lot of great work. Well, Jerry, thank you very much for being my guest today and sharing your passion, uh, working wardrobes. That's about all the time we have today. Thank you to my special guests, Kim Shepard and Jerry Rosen, as well as to our sponsor, People G2. Tune in next week at the same time, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, to hear Subu Murthy and Lisa Gallagher 
share their thoughts on talent. Until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be. You've been listening to Talent Talk with Chris Dyer, only on octalkradio.net.